What up? This is Dart Adams. This is episode 30 of Dart Against Humanity. I'm recording this episode at 8 a.m., uh, way before all the festivities begin today, because, of course, today is the Boston Red Sox World Series Victory Parade, which goes through my neighborhood. I didn't want to make this entire podcast about the Boston Red Sox and their victory and what they did, because this isn't a Boston Red Sox podcast. This is a podcast about pretty much whatever I want it to be. And I can write about the Red Sox anytime I want to. Matter of fact, I am. I'm doing a piece right now uh, called The Season of Face Perfection, a 2018 World Series champion Boston Red Sox. And I'm going to get out all my feelings on that. And you could have read Twitter. I actually wanted to talk about something completely different for this podcast. One of the things that always gets me is how everyone has their own different um, aesthetic in mind or their own sensibilities or their own preference in terms of film or art what have you I find it fascinating one of the things that happens is since I'm like a, a film guy and I'm supposedly I'm like I'm a film expert. I know a lot about cult films and and movie history and everything. So I'm always asked, "Yo, you like this movie? You want to see this movie? Uh, what do you think about this movie?" Everybody wants to know my thoughts on certain things, and I always try to explain to people. Again, just because you respect somebody's opinion or their taste doesn't necessarily mean it's going to align with yours. So. They're only to me. They're only specific. There are specific situations and people whose opinions about certain films, certain genres of films, certain types of films, I even consider. There are people I know that have great taste in films, great taste in movies. Uh, they see things. They they analyze things. They notice things that happen as far as like character development or story arc. Or things that are innovative in terms of like film or or like m- movies or people that are pushing the boundaries in different film genres. And we're not going to have the same taste. Case in point, today's Halloween. And in Halloween or around Halloween, people always like to watch horror films. I'm I'm not the typical person. I don't. I won't purposely go to the movies to see a horror film. Like, I'm not that into horror. Growing up where I grew up, horror was leaving the fucking front door, going out into the world, making it six, eight blocks without getting attacked, jumped, or or fucking harassed. Or, at certain times, being harassed by police. Or getting jumped. Or or gunfire going off. Or or just fights and shit like that. Like, everybody has their different... So, so like, horror did, didn't really do it for me. Horror is a fucking slow car pulling up to you on a curb at night. You know? So, everybody has their different sensibilities. And I was, like, really never heavy into the horror genre... Because to me, a lot of stuff was just like a lot of the staples, a lot of tropes of horror bored the shit out of me. 
I got sick of watching movies where young women are in the woods or half naked and getting chopped up by some dude. Boring. So, my idea of what's, uh, I guess, scary or what would be uh, something that would maybe evoke some sense of some type of some semblance of fear in me isn't the same as what it would take for normal people. Like, okay, I'll just say it like this. The Freddy movies and the Jason movies weren't necessarily horror to me. They were funny. They were spectacles. It was like, yo, everybody loves watching these these dudes walking slow in a mask is catching up to everybody and killing them. And they keep doing dumb shit. I kind of appreciated um, the Nightmare on Elm Street series because it at least tried to um, deconstruct or make fun of the horror genre like they were in on the joke. That's like what Evil Dead did. So Evil Dead was supposed to be like, supposed to be horror, but it's it, it, on the other. It was also like comedy. So it, it poked fun at what was going on. It was self-aware in a sense. So it was kind of parodying it. It's really hard to do horror well. Unless you figured out exactly what it is you're centering on. In the, in the fan of the viewer. And you're going to work that. Growing up. What made me scared? The first movie, I, th- I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast. The first movie that really made me scared was a movie called uh, The Man Who Saw Tomorrow. It was narrated by Orson Welles and it was about um, Nostradamus predicting different things. And then later on, he predicted what was happening in the future and the end of the world. And I was already an impressionable little kid who was watching the news every day for the Iran-Contra stuff and, and the... Uh, the the uh, cold, the nuclear war summits and watched war games and all these other things and and I saw like the road warrior uh damnation alley all the uh the movies and the and the uh Planet of the apes everything you could imagine everything that had to deal with like a post apocalyptic future as a kid, I saw uh, Escape from New York. So I was a kid who was convinced the world was going to end via nuclear war. And that was my fear. So it was that and dying in the street from street violence. So that's my baseline. Growing up. So horror, horror, eh, didn't really do much for me. I was intrigued by it. I think one of the early movies that I was intrigued by was there was this movie called, um, it was one of George Romero's uh, remakes of uh, The the Walking Dead. I think like Miguel Nunez was in it and they sent a nuclear missile and destroyed Louisville or some shit. Like that was intriguing to me. It wasn't scary, but it was intriguing. I think like the earliest movies I can remember seeing that were horror and being somewhat scared was um, Carrie. Uh, I remember we rented a movie later called Sleepaway Camp. But before that, there was a movie that before cable existed, 
that we had this thing called Star TV. I think I explained it. It the uh, the signal used to be transmitted from the Prudential. It was in the days of pay TV before cable had actually taken over every region in America. There were different pay TV um, regional outlets. And the movie, of course, you know it. Shelley Duvall, Jack Nicholson, The Maze, Scatman Crothers, The Shining. The Shining came on Star TV. My little brother was a damn near a baby. He was very little. And he watched it. Sat in front of the TV, watched the whole thing. I don't think that he knew exactly what he was watching. The movie freaked, the sh- freaked me the fuck out. Was I scared? I guess, yeah. But it, it, the movie more really freaked me out because what the hell was going on? I didn't know what was happening. I think that's what bothered me the most. I didn't know. I didn't even exactly know what I was scared of. Like, there's blood coming down the hallway. Why is there blood coming down the hallway? Why is this man trying to kill kill his wife? Why is this kid backtracking in the snow? This shit is freaking me out. So, you know, that was one of my earliest ideas of what fear is. Sleepaway Camp, of course, was a film that we rented back in the early days when, of course... Not everybody had a VCR and damn near nobody had a, um, an account for a, a rental, rental account at, a, at, a, a, at a, a, a video rental place. It was hard to get those. You had to have a credit card. You, you know, you had to do some other things. You had to fill out an application. It was crazy. So getting one of those was insane. Plus you had a VCR. Not everybody had a VCR. If you lived in my neighborhood where we had nothing but boosters and crackheads, then, hey, you could get a VCR pretty well, pretty easily, if you knew the right folks. Also, another reason why I was always um, intrigued by zombie films is because I grew up in an area inundated with crackheads and crack dealers. So, The Walking Dead, every day of my life I saw it growing up. And before that, they were heroin addicts, which didn't operate quite like zomb- like zombies, like crackheads did. And I kind of liken it to, uh, remember the day when the zombie films kind of got reinvigorated around the, day, the era of um, 28 Days Later? All of a sudden, the zombies are faster, and they're more attuned, and they don't uh, lumber, they fucking run at you. Yeah, that changed the game when we went from heroin addicts to crackheads. All right, so I decided to do this one thing. I was going to put together a list of horror, uh, like horror-esque films to pretty much talk about my sensibility in terms of what's scary or what horror is because it's not the average everyday person would deem horror uh things i saw early on that freaked me the fuck out as a kid um include animated films like watership down and the plague dogs if you don't remember those movies our crazy thing is that back in the days of course you know they used to wheel out if i don't know how old you are but they used to wheel out the tv back in the old days of school and now we're gonna show you a movie 
and the kids couldn't wait for this. Oh shit, we're gonna watch the movie. And they put in the tape in the VCR and it would start up. One of those early movies was of course Watership Down, which I don't think the teachers or the administrators watched themselves. That shit is disturbing. As an adult, Watership Down is fucking disturbing to watch. So imagine playing that for kids in a classroom. Okay? Now, it was, since it was animated, they thought, hey, we can show it to the kids. No, no. Kids was, kids was tra- traumatized. And um, the Plague Dogs, or as we used to call it, Watership Dogs, I think it's made by the same company damn near, like the same animation company, and it's like along the same themes. It's really dark and brooding and kind of fucking scary. So the Plague Dogs, I think it's on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, watch it. But um, like those are two early animated films. There was a movie that used to come on. Of course, we had Creature Double Feature as a kid, but those movies weren't scary, man. Creature from the Black Lagoon, all that shit. Who was scared of that? Nobody. But Trilogy of Terror was a movie that used to come on WSBK TV 38, and they used to show us. And there was especially the one part with the dolls that came to life. I think they kind of redid it for Tales from Tales from the Hood. A lot of people didn't know where the original concept came from. And of course they uh re-upped it with in Child's Play with Chucky, which again I didn't I went to the movies to see it. My brother took us and his friends didn't find it scary. It was more funny than anything. Like we had Teddy Ruxpin and shit like that. Like, yo, imagine Teddy Ruxpin came to life to try to kill you. Ha 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 ha. Meanwhile, I live in a neighborhood with a dude named Daryl God Whiting who was pulling kids over to over to the side, bringing them illegal seafood, putting a gun to their face and saying, yo, you better sell these jumps for me. If you don't pump for me, I'll kill you. That's horror. A fucking doll with red hair coming to life and trying to kill you. That's funny. Prob- likely getting arrested or killed by a policeman at night on your way home from school. That's horror. You know, so just to give you an idea where 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 I rock with it. So um, what I did was I decided to go through a list of um, like cult films or fringe films that I saw, which I think kind of fall into where I'd consider the horror genre for me. It's kind of hard because there's movies like Ringu or you know is the Ring, which I say yeah that freaked me the fuck out that would fall into the horror spectrum here's the thing a lot of the um korean and japanese horror films those were really bitten by hollywood they tried to bring it around to their own sensibilities and it didn't work well it worked for american audiences it didn't work for me because i've seen the originals and i'm like what is this bullshit like i don't like you it saddens me that you can't just take the original film and think that American audiences or North American audiences are going to be able to relate to what's happening on screen and be emotionally invested in what's happening to the characters on screen because they don't look like them or speak English. That's disappointing and lightweight depressing. Like, we have to put white people in every one of these movies, even if we have the same fucking director and the same premise and even some of the same actors doing... They, 
Which movie was it where they brought white folks to Japan and had Jap- Japanese people doing the same things they did in the other movie? Was that The Ring? They did The Ring over with white folks? Either way, that shit was stupid. But um, I'm going to start with stuff like Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko, which is like the concept, the it's like a Hollywood film, but it's an indie horror film, but it's a psychological drama, but it's perfect for Halloween. It's kind of um, the new era, turn of the century, consummate horror film, Donnie Darko. Came out in 2001. I don't know if Battle Royale falls under horror. But to me it kind of did. Because the concept was that the government came up with this new thing. Where they were going to send kids to a place. And give them weapons. And have them kill each other off. And one would win. Of course the Hunger Games kind of took it and ran with it. But... The difference is that Battle Royal happens in Japan in like modern times and there's a whole political climate behind it. And it's one of those things where it's like, yo, this shit could kind of happen if things went left. There's um 13 Zametti, which I guess one of the reasons why it kind of got termed horror is because it's an independent film. It's international. It's black and white. It's really bare bones. The shit looks like something that could actually happen. That's what makes it so horrifying. Um, Versus, which is a zombie movie from 2000. Itchy the Killer. I think a lot of people know about Itchy the Killer. It uh, came out in 2001. It's like made by the same dude that made shit like Visitor Q, which I don't term horror. I think he made another movie called Gozu. I don't term that shit horror. Basically, he would just make movies just to see if he could make you uncomfortable and just do things that make you just make you go, what the like what what's happening? Like cover your eyes as opposed to real horror horror where you like you. I think it's a difference when you're just trying to shock people. I don't term that horror necessarily. Requiem for a Dream could fall into the horror, you know, stipulations. That movie legitimately freaks you out, scares you. It's one of those joints where it's like you might not want to, like, go to sleep or be in a dark room after seeing it. The Machinist, which came out in 2004. I think The Devil's Rejects is probably the best film overall that, um... Rob Zombie made. Rob Zombie was a dude who's local. He used to actually visit the Tower Records I worked at. I worked there between 1999 and um, 1998 and 1999. Uh, he would come by. His girlfriend was an Amazon. She was like, what, six feet tall or something? She was always wearing like high boots. But he would come by because his, his um brother used to actually work there. His brother was in... um. Power Man 5000? Spider? Spider 1. So um, he would come by and sometimes like he would just like look around, whatever, talk. And we would have talks about horror. 
and, 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 and grindhouse movies and how less is more and sometimes production value lessens the actual fear or the anticipation of the fear that you that you feel in films like you make it too glossy and too clean and it loses steam like that's why those early grindhouse films really worked and it's also why they also worked when they were like shown on TV or even when you rented them but he made of course Devil's Rejects I think that was his best movie 2005 Children of Men I feel falls into the the horror category. My idea of what works as horror a lot of the times is um like other people would term sci-fi or psychological thrillers. I need a story. I need to be hooked in. Man person running from person with a weapon and they're always around the corner and they're always stalking you, yawn. You have to give me something solid. You have to give me a story. You have to build it up. That's why Seven worked so well. Seven was horror without even without you necessarily realizing. You thought it was like a a, a cop sh- a, a cop movie, you know. That's how you get the horror out of it. Like you have to build up the anticipation, the suspense, the stakes, who you're dealing with. And of course, Kevin Spacey's a scary motherfucker. Um, Dogville, which most people would not term as anything in the realm of horror. All I got to say is if you've never seen Dogville before, watch that shit. Watch Dogville. Dogville fucks your head up because it's, it's, it's arranged like a play on a set. Super quiet. Uh, bare bones, minimalistic. You see everything that happens. Everything plays out. I made the mistake of watching Dogville and um, not Passion of the Christ. It was the other Jesus movie. And I, I watched those two movies back to back. And after I watched those two movies back to back, I think I got them both on DVD from Netflix. This is when Netflix used to mail DVDs to you. Um, I watched those back to back and I didn't give a fuck about humanity for like 72 hours. I just hated humans. I just hated entire humankind entirely for, for 72 full hours. Dart against humanity. Um, Ravenous 1999. This can kind of fall into the horror category. I liked it because it was different and it took a genre or, or, or a premise that most people had and it kind of turned it on his head and made it interesting so this movie really stuck out in my head another movie that kind of stuck out in my head was Botched from 2007 I typically don't like movies along these lines in horror but Botched did it really well and it did it extremely well considering that you had fucking Steven Dorff as the lead guy Steven Dorff the Steven Dorff Cecil B. Demented Stephen Dorff. Botch, 2007. You need to watch that shit. Another movie from 2007 that I really liked was The Signal. I think a lot of people confuse this movie for another one. The Signal is basically, it's like a zombie film where this signal comes on TV and it changes people and they become, some of them become super, like, angry and they get possessed and try to kill each other. 
fucked up movie, excellent film, different scenes. Um, it has different acts. It tells different stories, but it all comes back to a main theme. Yo, it's the signal's fire. I love that shit. Um, 28 days later and 28 weeks later, one came out 2002, other came out 2007. We really got jobbed and didn't get a 28 months later. 28 months later, uh, I guess there's still time, but I don't know. With all the fucking The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead and Nation Z and Z Army and whatever the fuck, all this, the, the entire zombie craze that's gone on. I kind of feel like 28 months later is going to have to be something completely left, you know, like somebody's going to have to innovate again in the world of of zombie films or the zombie genre. I don't know who's going to do that. I love the Event Horizon from 1997. I feel as though Event Horizon kind of started a a sub-genre of its own. You have shit like games like Dead Space, which kind of lend itself to Event Horizon. You have movies like Pandorum uh, from 2009. Um, there's Sunshine, which came out 2007. Before that, I kind of feel like they all fall in the same line. Being on a ship, the ship seems like it's haunted. There's all this crazy shit happening on it. There was actually another film about like being on a spaceship and they pick up a, a hitchhiker or something. I think it was Homie who played... Um, Dude who's on my so-called life, Wilson Cruz. He was like the hitchhiker or something. I cannot remember what the fuck it was called. I could just search it on my phone or look it up on my laptop, but I'm be a dickhead. Um, Dead Man's Shoes from 2004. That movie was nuts. Horror, I guess. High Tension could be termed horror. It's also known as Hot Tension. You don't, I guess, like, you just think it's survival. They're just trying to survive, but you don't realize it's horror until, like, the end. And then there's this movie called Funny Games. There's two versions of it. There's the international version. I think it's Funny Games. There's the international version, and then there was the remake. The remake was trash compared to the original. I think that's just, um, that's just, like, typical. That's old hat. You know, that's how they do it. Um, Blindness. If you have blindness from 2008, woo wee! I just sound, this is not doing doing a woo kid, um, but blindness, blindness uh, definitely has to be under horror for me. If you've never seen blindness, go look for that one. Quarantine from 2008 also falls under the same um, guidelines. But there was a movie called Record. It's REC from 2007. I think like REC and Quarantine. Are all both along the same lines. I kind of feel like quarantine was like the American version of um, record or REC. The Road, which is the um, adaptation of the Cormac um, of of his book. The Road, they put it out like around Halloween or around Christmas between that er- that era that area that time of year. They like did it, did it as counter programming. It didn't fucking work. The movie didn't do well at all. But when you see it, it creeps you the fuck out. It's really messed up. Post apocalyptic future. Everybody's scrounging trying to survive. 
I feel like that's horror, man. Um, carriers, which again is along along the lines of zombie, like zombie films, post apocalyptic films. This is the type of shit. This is this is where my this is where my wheelhouse is, where my sensibilities lie. I saw the devil and the perfect host both in 2010. I saw the devil is a different kind. Of horror than the perfect host. The perfect host is along the t- along the lines of the f- funny games, which which I mentioned earlier. Exam from 2010. I feel like this is one of the most overlooked and underappreciated movies of the last 10 years. Exam. I think it's on, it's still on Netflix. So if you can find it, watch that joint. Um, Phase seven. Which I loved. Phase seven, I think, is along the lines of like the quarantine record 28 days later, but the early days, the early stages when the shit's going down, opposed to when everything is already gone to shit. But phase seven is pretty much about people. I think it's happen. It happens in um in Central America, and it's an it's a, a apartment complex. And society is crumbling. There's like this, uh, this plague or this virus is going around and everybody suspects everybody. It's crazy. Um, phase seven. Sound of my voice, 2010. No, sound of my voice, 2011. Sound of my voice. I love this movie. Is it horror? I don't know. I think it's more of a psychological thriller. But that's my that's my thing. That's what I kind of what I like more than the horror thing where someone's dying and there's blood and shit like that. I think this works better. God bless America is a movie that's going to make you very very uncomfortable. It's gonna make you wince. It's gonna make you look around the room. It's see super. It's like a parody of um comic book films and it kind of fell in right after like kick-ass so those aren't horror but I think that God Bless America it's a parody it's it's um, satire but it's also it goes it, 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 it goes kind of far let the right one in or let me in. Let the right one in is the international version from 2008. Let me in is the 2010 version with um, Chloe Grace Moretz playing um, a vampire girl. And she befriends a boy. Watch them both. You see how different it is and how the, the sensibility is different. How things work differently internationally in another country in their language. Versus how you have to change a film. For the North American audience. That always intrigues me. There's always things they have to change. The Purge series I think falls under the line of like. What people expect from horror today. It has to be topical. It has to um, address the world as we, as we live in nowadays. Like Get Out does. Like that's Horror. There was the crazies, which again falls into the line of like zombie shit. Train to Busan again falls into the line of like zombies. Get out, which I just mentioned, you know. Like that's the that's horror now for me. 
Well, actually, really, for me, like, I look at what people think is horror and I, I can't rock with it. Like, paranormal activity does nothing for me. I don't, like, I don't care. I'm not interested in seeing it. I don't, I'm not interested in seeing any of them. Uh, like, the, what's the sudden destination or end destination or whatever the fuck? Those movies are called where it's like death is chasing somebody and they keep trying to avoid it and it finds a way to murder them in the worst way possible. That's not entertaining or scary to me. I don't care. Unfriended is like one of those movies that basically they it's the Americanized version or the westernized version of what they've been doing in Japan and Korea for like the last 20 plus years well they're the people that really brought the idea of real t- of social media and technology trying to murder you here like they they perfected it in 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 the anime early serial experiments lane you know paranoia agent now, if we were talking anime, this shit would be different. I like the American idea of what what horror is. Cloverfield, Cloverfield, y'all like that shit? Cloverfield. I was always confused by everybody talking about Cloverfield. Man, that shit did nothing for me. I saw Cloverfield once, and I was like, um, so when does the movie start? Then I just thought I was a hater, so I rented it on Netflix again. It came in the mail, got that joint out. My brother and I and some of our friends watched it, and we were like, nah, this shit's trash. This is trash. Why was everybody talking about this movie? Yawn. I can't fuck with it. But my brother keeps telling me about uh, Cabin in the Woods. Which he says is like a nice take on it's kind of a deconstruction of the horror genre and it brings it it kind of brings it up to date. He says I should watch that. I haven't seen it yet. I might seek it out. It's not on Netflix. Is it? Shit, I might just look after I'm done doing this. Cause I'm gonna have to kill time until the um the parade starts. I got like two hours. Right now I have like two and a half hours before the parade starts. I live, again, right next to Copley Square, so it's not going to take me long to walk over there, get some video, get some pictures, and then bring my ass right back home and watch it on TV, because you want to be out in them crowds? Nah. But as far as, like, horror is concerned for me, I think I prefer... I think I prefer it when it's in series or anthology format. As opposed to one film. Like I love Black Mirror. And I love Black Mirror way before it was even on Netflix. And now that it's on Netflix. It works better. And it's weird because there are people that. They have a completely divergent feel for what they like. There are episodes of Black Mirror from the last two seasons. That some people just hate. And they can't rock with. And I think those episodes were great. And I think they work just fine. Like the one with the robots. A lot of people don't like that episode where 
I just realized that if I talk about the actual episode, it's like a spoiler and it's going to kill you. It's going to kill it for you if you actually watch it. So I'm not going to talk about it. But there are episodes of um, Black Mirror, especially the last season that people just hate. And then there are episodes that they love. Like Black Museum is an excellent episode. But Black Museum is I don't think Black Museum is the best episode of that season. And also the Christmas episode of Black Mirror, the the Black Christmas episode. Ooh, oh shit! Also, Hated in the Nation is very topical, and it's crazy because again, I think I mentioned this before. It drives me insane that there are people that can't really get past the first episode. So I almost want to tell people about other episodes because they're not linear. I always want to tell people about a different episode, have them watch an episode of Black Mirror, and don't have them watch the first episode. Because I want them to actually give it a shot. Anyway, um, another other like Netflix series that fall into like the horror genre for me that I actually fuck with, I'd say um, Dark. But Dark's in German. And I prefer that you watch it with subtitles as opposed to watch it with dubbed. Dubbed kills the feel for me. You have to hear the words coming out of people's mouth and read it. Those performances from the actors makes all the difference in the world. When you listen to the fucking dubbed voice, it's trash. Trash. It changes the whole feel, the mood, everything. The rain, but then again, the rain they think falls under the zombie. It falls under the zombie, um, the zombie genre. The rain is a series again on Netflix. But I kind of like it. Stranger Things season one, I rock with way more than season two. Season two was a disappointment for me. I just feel like there were so many things that season one did better. And it was more original. And it did a better job of taking like 80s genre shit and like bringing it up to date and referencing it and doing homages to it that really worked and season two they tried to do some stuff that it just fell short and the other thing too is that I knew that there was something different about season two when after season two was over they had this other series of the fucking director and the creators and the writers having fucking roundtable discussions with the actors and the writers and shit. Like it was, a, it was like you just finished watching Stranger Stranger Things two, and now you got to watch Stranger Things two again with like a fucking a, a track where everybody's referencing and talking about things that. So if you just saw this episode, this is what happened in this episode. And this is what we went through to like. I saw it the first time and I was like, eh. And now I just saw you explain it and now I'm like, eh. Now it's even more eh. I mean, some people fucked with it. Some people rocked with it. So I guess it worked for what it was. Not me, though. So again, Halloween is a day where people really go out and they enjoy, like, the spirit of Halloween and and horror films and and things that are spooky or whatever the fuck and I don't 
not not my thing. Not not really my thing. I don't really rock with it like that. I'm just not like I understand I'm one of those people that I understand fear why fear exists. Fear is a form of intelligence. Fear is the thing that makes you get out the way when a car comes. Fear is the thing that makes you look out for somebody in a situation where it looks like this motherfucker might do something. Fear is the thing that makes you aware. Now, fear is necessary. Fear is a tool. The thing about fear is that you can let fear paralyze you or you can let fear take over you to the point where you are inactive or you don't move. Fear can also motivate you to be proactive. Everything exists for a reason. Like people talk about stress. There's two forms. There's stress is stress isn't stress exists, but there are two sides of stress. There's stress, which is negative, and there's you stress, which is positive. But you stress can have the same same effect as stress. That's why it's it's negative stress. There's negative stress and positive stress. When something good's about to happen, it can be stressful. If something fucked up and bad's about to happen or is in the pro- or is in the process happening, same thing. So for me, fear eh, I get it. I think it's necessary. I understand it. I don't like going to haunted houses because turning the fucking corner in the right places three times more effective than going to a haunted house. Every day was Halloween for me growing up in the crack era. So again that's just my feelings but um today is the day where the entire city of Boston is going to descend upon one stretch of the city for what like two miles this is like two miles um and they're going to Praise and celebrate the Boston Red Sox for winning the 2018 World Series championship. They were the best team all year. People said that if they lost, it was going to be like a lost season. They ended up winning. They won in epic fashion. They were one of the best teams, arguably, in history of Major League Baseball. A lot of people are mad about it. A lot of people from New York are like, nobody cares, which is bullshit. But it is what it is. I did not want to come on here and do this entire episode about that because, again, I really care. I love that shit. But I'm not 100% sure that's what y'all want to hear. But also, in the back of my mind, I also don't want to be on here talking about that shit for 50 minutes when I could just write about it somewhere else and also I'm about to return to basketball Twitter effective November 1st 2018 now the baseball season's over 
So that's going to be different. I know there's some people that were really expecting me to come out here and do Screaming A. Smith and Shaman Sharp today, but nah, nah, later, later, later. And November is going to be bananas. So as you know, the first season of Dart Against Humanity, I did 13 episodes. Like I do it like Netflix or whatever, or like a television show to pick up 13 and when the show gets more popular, they pick up what's called the back nine. So the next season was 22 episodes. This is episode 30. So I have five more episodes. Uh, judging by how I do episodes, it's going to be again between every five, seven days of November. Um, so likely I'm going to get in four since I'm doing this day on the last day of um, October. Likely I'm going to do four episodes in November. So the first episode in November is going to happen somewhere between November 5th and 7th. And then you just figure it out from there. And the last episode of season two was likely going to happen the first week of December. And I'm just going to be the final one. I'm going to do like the closeout joint for 2018, what have you. Then we're going to do the break. I'm likely going to come back with episode with season three of Dart Against Humanity in February, either late January or early February or maybe mid-February um, 2019, depending on what happens. I could get a new job. I could get a new gig. I could get some move into a different space. I could get a guest host. Anything could happen in that span of months that could change this entire podcast or everything. And I'm open to that. So. That's pretty much what we're looking at. This month of Dart Against Humanity is the most viewed, played, and and the one that spread the most of any other previous month of Dart Against Humanity. I think the only see, the only month that there was no growth, like real growth is viewership, was because I took the break between season one and season two, but I had the listens that bridged so it was like there are people that were listening. I saw the number of people that were listening without me uploading new episodes like they were catching up. And that was encouraging. Uh, one of my goals is that the next time I do the break is that the number of people that are catching up is going to be at least double the people that were first introduced dur during the break between season one and season two or catching up is double, at least double between season one and season two. I do like seeing growth. I hate the fact that I'm one of these people that's actually looking at numbers and looking at. I just don't like the idea that in order for people to look at what you're doing and find value in it. I need to like show them numbers. That's always something that bothered me. I'm like, listen to the fucking show. If you like the show, that should be the thing. I, I'm an eye test person. I'm a show and prove guy. But again, in this day and age, these are the metrics that we need to, to show people and the numbers that we need to produce in order to get anywhere. This is the resume. I'm using air quotes. That we have to present to prove to people 
that we're moving something or that we matter. These numbers and these metrics are the things that have people in my ear telling me that I have to get a verified Instagram account. You know, these are the people that think I'm more important because I got tweeted at by somebody famous. So these are the things that make people think that I should be further along because I have a verified Twitter account. And I'm like, any person who is a journalist can pretty much get a verified Twitter account now. Seriously. So these metrics and these status symbols that y'all look to that you think mean something. Somebody else came up with that shit. There's a reason why clout clout chasers exist. Because of these fucking fake symbols and these things that you put up there and you say, bam, this is what matters. This is what you have to look at. The idea that somebody with a certain number of something as opposed to their the quality of their work or their knowledge base or what they actually bring to the table really bring to the table tangibly matters more because they have more of a reach and they have more influence air quotes you can't see me bothers me but yeah man it's the world we live in I honestly don't want to keep talking and also I'm looking outside and I'm seeing a bunch of people in Red Sox gear walking down the street already headed towards Copley Square So I'm going to finish this shit.